taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast with yours truly, Brian Chilton and Curtis Avalo. We're starting off with the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, which says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And we're continuing uh, with our tribute uh, through the month of May to the rock band Petra. And this is their song called Destiny. And we were talking about, before the podcast, Curtis, we were talking about boxing and um, some of the fight sports. Boy, this would be a good theme for someone to come out to the ring. It would be a good good theme song for someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's got a good heavy rock beat to it. Yep. Yeah, so, that's good. So today we've got a great topic talking about the... Uh, Jewish sects, S-E-C-T-S, of the first century, and uh, this is an exciting podcast. I'm looking forward to this. Hard to believe, episode 30, we've only got just, what, two or three pepcos left, uh, th- two or three episodes left in this season five. This season. Gone yeah. by in a hurry. Yeah. It's amazing, and, and the content in this in this uh, season has been pretty stellar, pretty top-notch. It's unbelievable how much information we've actually uh, put out, and, and uh, I sure hope that uh, the listeners have taken time to take it in and, and enjoy it. Absolutely. So, well, let me just start out here. Thanks, folks. Welcome aboard. Uh, thanks for tuning in and listening, and uh, we just appreciate every one of you, and uh, We've actually had some good uh, interaction. We've had uh, a couple of uh, uh, articles on on the Bellator Christie website. Um, you know about about you know, from listeners and and people uh, actually asking and asking questions. And uh, some of our team has been able to take some time and answer that. And uh, boy, there's been some good uh, good responses. I've been enjoying seeing some of that and uh, got some some good scholars that have been uh, kind of chiming in and helping out and i just think it's been great how about you 
Absolutely. I'm excited to see uh, what the future holds. We've got uh, we've got some um, some some articles coming in. I know Scott Reynolds has just sent in one his submission for this month, and uh, it looks to be a really good piece. And so it'll be coming out here. It may actually be next week, I think. Um, but we've got we got some great stuff coming ahead. That's good. Yeah, that's great. Yep. And then we got our summer interview series that we're we're just now getting to polishing up some of the stuff that we're going to be putting on it. Um, so we are taking a break just to remind some folks um, that we are taking a break, um, and then we'll jump into the summer interview series, and then after that there will be another break, and then we'll we'll jump right into um, season six um, with a brand new whole new uh, episode series to start with. So. So let's uh let's just jump right in here, Brian. Let's let's try to maybe uh, get some definition here and get some groundwork in. What is a Jewish sect? S E C T. So a sect is kind of like a denomination. If you think of Christianity, oh, okay. uh, it's it's kind of a division you have within Christianity. So. Like you have the sect of Catholicism, you have the sect mm-hmm. of uh, Assemblies of God, you have the sect of ba- Baptist, and so on and so forth. It's it's a section of a certain movement. So when we're talking about a Jewish sect, we're talking about um, a section or sector of Judaism, and these different sectors, they, they, uh, or different sections, they, they looked at uh, things a little differently, just as we see with modern-day Christianity. I mean, we've got several different versions and variations of Christianity, um, but in, in the overarching things, we find agreement. And so the same thing holds true for Judaism. But you're going to see in some sectors, that they uh, some sects, they have... Uh, a little different take on things, and and quite honestly, I think politics got involved to a, to a large degree with a couple of these these groupings that we're going to talk about, uh, and and it really kind of altered one of them. I'm not even so sure that you could even call it a religious movement. Another one, I think you could call it vaguely a religious movement, but I think it was more it was far more driven by economics and um, and politics as well. And so I think even of these. Um, three of the five are are really what you call hardcore religious denominations. I think uh, there were there were some there, there were some other things guiding the process with a few of these groups. Hmm. So, so how many of those um, sects uh, existed in the first century, um, and and really, what were they called? Well, if you count the early Christian movement, there, there would have been oh, six. Okay. If you count the early Christian movement, there would have been six. But we're not going to really count that. Some 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 scholars would count early Christianity as being uh, an additional sect of Judaism. And quite honestly, it, it really was in its origins. Um, but I think there are five main divisions or sects that we can find of Judaism in the first century. Uh, number one is the one people have probably heard the most uh, because Jesus had the most interaction with this group. It's, called, it's a group called the Pharisees. Um, 
quite honestly, I believe Jesus probably had far more in common with this group than he did the other ones. Uh, the second group is a group called the Sadducees, um, and they, they are. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what they, who they were. But Jesus had some interactions with the Pharisees of the of these groups. Only three. Well, no, four of the five groups are mentioned in Scripture. Uh, the third is the one that's not really mentioned in Scripture. But I think you may have reason for believing that uh, some of the early Christians could have had uh, some involvement with this movement, and that's a, a group called the Essenes. Uh, we're told about them, and um, I think Philo of Alexandria mentions them, uh, but Josephus mentions them the most. And so uh, the Essenes, we really don't see them mentioned explicitly in the, in the Gospels or New Testament, uh, but their presence is there. The fourth group is a group called the Zealots. Uh, it's interesting because one of Jesus' own disciples named Simon, not Simon Peter, but another, another disciple named Simon, was known as Simon Zelotes or Simon the Zealot. Uh, he was part of this very aggressive movement, and um, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. And then there's the Samaritans in John chapter 4, the woman that Jesus met at the well. Uh, this was a Samaritan woman. He also gave the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan. Uh, this is another grouping, uh, a grouping that were of people that were quite honestly despised by a large majority of the Jewish population. Uh, but these five groups can constitute the five major sects or divisions of uh, early Judaism of the first century. Hmm. That's interesting. It's kind of funny on it just when you said, uh, when, you, when you're talking about uh, uh, the zealots, it, um, I, I just I think of uh, in season two on The Chosen, um, John the Baptist, uh, was was standing there, saw Jesus cast a demon out of a guy, and then uh, sees all the people that were in Jesus's uh, uh, group, his followers, um, and he looks over and he sees this uh, zealot, and uh, he helps him up off the ground because you have to see the scene to be able to see it. But he goes, "Hey, when did you get? When did you pick up this zealot?" <laughs> <laughs> pretty comical when you look at when you think about it yeah it's like <laughs> they just happen to pick them up <laughs> so yeah pretty funny to me but so what did the early uh sects of judaism believe this is interesting it may take us a little while to get through this uh but it's interesting to see the focal points of these different groupings. Now, the three major sects of Judaism were the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes. And so we'll focus a little bit more on them than the other two. Uh, but the first thing we see is the Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees had the most in common with Jesus. They believed in the immortality of the soul. They believed in oral traditions. Now, their focal point was not as much on the temple as much as it was as preserving the oral tradition. They believed that there was a written tradition of Moses and also a, an oral tradition of Moses. They also were uncompromised. They had an uncompromised devotion to the keeping the Torah. 
Uh, they were about keeping the law, and they were about living pious and devoted righteous lives unto the Lord. Uh, they believed not only in the immortality of the soul, they believed in the resurrection at the end. They believed in angels. They believed in miracles and the very present involvement of God in creation. Uh, they accepted prophetic writings. And quite honestly, Curtis, I believe that there may be a connection and I haven't really dug deeply into this, but it, it, it seems to me that there may be a connection between the Pharisees and the prophetic lineage we find in like Isaiah and Amos and, and many of these other prophets, because it was this group that preserved those those right. texts. Yep. Yep. And so I think they're following along, even though their historical lineage that we'll talk about here in a few moments uh, come fr- came from out of the the, uh, the uh, Maccabean revolt and uh, the Hasidic right. uh, group right. of that time. I still think that there's a, a connection found in this group back to the prophets of the Old Testament because not only right. did they accept the Torah, they also accepted the writings. Uh, the Psalms and the prophets at Scripture. If it were not for the Pharisees, the vast majority of the Old Testament would not have been preserved, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly. We can be thankful for the Pharisees for preserving the Old Testament as we have it today because they accepted all of those books uh, as being uh, Scripture. So uh, the Pharisees. Also, here's something interesting, and this is important to remember whenever you're reading Paul's writings. Now, a lot of people that we look at, we, we've gotten into the Calvinistic and, and the Arminian debates, but it's important to remember. Now, Paul, who is the author of the book of Romans, was himself a Pharisee. He calls himself a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Oh, Pharisees, right. The Pharisees, when it came down to divine sovereignty and human freedom, they believed in a blend. They believed both that God was sovereign, but they also believed that human beings had the capacity and the ability... (laughs) Here again, I wish we we had the audio stream so you could see Curtis's reaction... (laughs) But they also believe that human beings had the responsibility to uh, respond to God, and they also had the responsibility of living moral, righteous lives. So people were either free to live righteously, or they were free to live unjustly, and that comes down to personal human freedom. So that's what the Pharisees believed. Uh, So then we go over uh, to the Sadducees. Um, The Sadducees... If, if the Pharisees' main focal point was living a righteous life and being committed to both the oral and written Torah, the main focal point for the Sadducees was completely on the temple complex. Their goal was to keep the temple running. Mm. And at all costs, at any and all costs, if it meant keeping the peace, they would do it. Um they were the the safe keepers. These were, an, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more. These were a, an elite aristocratic bunch. Okay, they fought to run and keep the temple operating. They rejected anything perceived to be a Hellenistic influence. So if they thought it was it was even close to being a Hellenistic influence, they rejected it. Uh, and and so 
Hellenistic, let's kind of give a little bit of background with that. What does that mean? Sure. Hellenistic, that's that's a... Go ahead. It, yeah. H- Hellenistic is talking about Greek thought, Greco-Roman thought. So at this right. time, you had guys like Philo of Alexandria, who was probably more a Pharisee. Uh, he gets into kind of more of the gematria, looking at numbers. He, he's focused on the immortality of the soul. Uh, they believe that this is an infiltration of Hellenistic thought. However, if you go back in the Old Testament, not only in the Torah, but also in the other uh, writings in the Old Testament, you see that that is not original to Hellenism. Uh, The belief in the immortality of the soul and belief in the afterlife is all throughout the pages of Scripture, if you count all the books of Scripture as we have in, what, 39 books of the Old Testament, uh, if you count the writings. Now, if you only count the, the first five books, I still think there are reasons for believing in the afterlife. Jesus showed that whenever he had this his confrontation with uh, the Sadducees, saying that God is is the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but is, and so he makes that argument through the through the Torah. Uh, but they they rejected anything that was even anything close to what they perceived to be a Hellenistic influence. But again, they're just to clarify, I don't think that the Pharisees were influenced necessarily by the by the uh, Greek thought process. Quite frankly, I think they would wholeheartedly reject that uh, that that uh, that thought or even that accusation. Uh, they denied, the Sadducees denied the afterlife. They de- denied uh, the existence of angels, which to me is very strange because uh, in the book of Genesis, in the Torah, you see angels, the angel of the Lord. Uh, angel of the Lord. Jacob yep. wrestling with the angel. I mean, this is very weird. Uh, they also denied God's involvement with the world. That uh, they didn't believe that he was involved with the world, that each person had the complete freedom to live their life as they pleased, and that God would not interject himself into creation as such. Uh, They only accepted the first five books of the Bible, and they rejected the writings of the Old Testament. Uh, They rejected the books of prophecy uh, in the Old Testament, and they also rejected the oral law. Now, here again. They're connected with the elite of society. If you go back in the Old Testament and follow prophets like Isaiah, but really prophets like Amos and the minor prophets, they are, they are calling out the elite of the time, and they're calling them to return to the covenant with God, to faithfulness with God. And I believe it was Amaziah who was of the elite who was saying, I'm not saying necessarily they, that they were Sadducees, uh, Amaziah, but they were the elite of the times. And he said, go back to your home, you old seer, uh, or you old prophet. And Amos says, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I heard the voice of God calling in the wilderness. So there is this, there is already in the Old Testament this, um, this disjunction between the elite of the time and the prophets of God. Okay, and so I'm kind of wondering, I can't prove this right now, but it just kind of makes me wonder, just as I think there might be a connection with the Pharisees and the prophetic lineage, there could also be a a link with the elite of the Old Testament times and this group called the Sadducees. Now remember, 
Amos was a bold preacher because in the town of Bashan, there were these uh, rich aristocratic individuals, and the women of the time, women of these families, they would use their wealth to oppress the poor, to take advantage of, of individuals, and Amos, this bold prophet of God, called these rich women cows. He called them the cows of Bashan. I don't care what time you live in, you've got to be a bold individual <laughs> to say something like that. <laughs> so it just makes me wonder. It really makes me wonder if what you're finding with these two groups, if it might not be some type of continuity between what you see going on in the Old Testament, even pouring out into the first century with these two different uh, Jew- Jewish sects. So those are the first two. The Essenes had much in common with the Pharisees. They also believed in the existence of angels. They believed in the sovereignty of God. Oh, did they ever believe in the sovereignty of God? Uh, So the Pharisees believed in a balance of sovereignty and human freedom. The Sadducees believed in complete human freedom with no divine involvement whatsoever. The Essenes were the ancient Calvinists of the day. They believed... I was was just going to (laughs) say, well... That hasn't changed much now, has it? (laughs) They were having the same debates then that we're having today, uh, quite frankly. I I would say that uh, your open theists would probably be more Sadducean. Um, Well, I don't even know if if you could even say, well, maybe somewhat. I don't know. It may be an unfair debate. Comparison, but just 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 for the sake of comparison's sake, uh, but but complete human freedom, no divine involvement, no not, not open theists. Let's say deists. They would be comparable to the deists. That would be more in line with what the Sadducees believed. Uh, those who are believe in a blend would be more of your Pharisees, uh, the blend of divine sovereignty, human freedom, and and the Calvinists would be comparable to what the Essenes believed. They believed in complete divine sovereignty and very little human freedom. They believed in the immortality of the soul. They believed in the afterlife. Uh, Again, they agreed essentially with the resurrection. They agreed essentially with the the core details that the Pharisees did. But where the Pharisees' main focus is on the oral tradition, written tradition, uh, faithfulness to Torah, and the focus of the Sadducees was on the temple, the Essenes, the focus of the Essenes, was living a monastic, eschatological life looking for the end to come. Some of these Essenes may have very well been part of the the, um, priesthood and were cast out with the Roman invasion. Um, But what they did believe, they separated themselves. They also, like the Sadducees, they were concerned with the Hellenistic influence that was going on in the times. Um, But unlike the Pharisees, who lived in the in the time, um, but held true to their Jewish convictions, the Essenes believed that they would needed to separate themselves completely from society and live a monastic life. And it's from the Pharisee, um, excuse me, the Essenes, that the Dead Sea Scrolls were preserved. Yep. The Qumran yep. area was most likely in a in a Essene community. Uh, they had uh, uh, books that talked about the sons of light, a teacher of righteousness, 
And again, they they preserved these um, documents, a complete book of Isaiah. So like the Pharisees, they believed in that the prophetic books of the Bible, the 39 books we have were scripture. Uh, they even preserved other documents that are not found in the in the Old Testament as well. So again, they were strong predestinarians. They also were strong fatalists. They believed God was completely in control and that there was very little a person could do to change God's sovereign plan. So before we go our last two, do we have any questions on those first three? Well, my I guess I was going to I was going to ask, I should probably listen to the next two, but just it sure sounds like the zealots could have come from two runs, either the Pharisees or the Essenes. And this may be a question we will focus a little bit more on the next when we talk about the origins. But okay. l- l- let me go ahead and jump in the zealots right quick about what they believed. Zealots were seemed to be closer akin to the Pharisees for, and I say this for one reason: they hated and despised the Sadducees. They they, they <laughs> despised them because they hated anything to do with Rome. Now the Sadducees accused the Essenes and Pharisees of being Hellenistic. But the zealots and many others accused the Sadducees of being Romanists, uh, of being, well, for, for lack of a better term, that they were in bed with the Romans. And yeah. quite honestly, they were, because when Rome invaded, they sold the priesthood to the highest bidder. And since they were the elite of the society, elite of the time, uh, they were able to formulate a connection back to Zadok, uh, according to their you know, according to their lineage, but they were really Roman sympathizers uh, because they worked with Rome to do anything and everything they could to keep the temple complex going. Uh, even if they, and I hate to say it because, well, you see evidence with the with Jesus, even if it meant selling out one of their own, uh, they'd be willing to do that uh, to uh, to keep the temple going. It was all about keeping the temple going. That was their main concern. Uh, and so the zealots, they were... Um, they were completely for eradicating and getting rid of Roman influence. They did not want Roman occupiers in the land. And so there was even a group of, this is largely a secular political group, because even though they had a lot in common with the Pharisees, the rabbis often chided the the uh, the zealots for for their malicious and uh, often violent attacks they would try to incite people against the romans to incite these these attacks against the romans and there was even a group called the sicarii which was a subset of uh, the zealots and the sicarii meant dagger men uh, they would yeah. carry daggers around with them and they would stab roman soldiers when they could and and just really do anything they could to get the romans out um Barabbas may have been the one that uh, that the people chose to release in Jesus's place. Uh, he yep. could very well have been a Sicari, uh, one of those dagger men. Um, so that's that's the zealots. And then lastly, we see the Samaritans. Oddly enough, the Samaritans had a lot in common with the Pharisees in the sense that they believed in an afterlife. They believed in um, the uh, the that in the final resurrection, they even um, 
they believed that, that a figure called the Tahib, would, which was comparable to a Messiah, would be a prophet like Moses and would bring the final resurrection. Uh, they believed. Uh, they believed in that. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in resurrection. But where they were comparable to the Sadducees was that they only accepted the first five books of the Bible because they believed that later Judaism, anything after Moses, was a corruption of of the law of God. They believed that the first five books were the law of God, and anything else corrupted the message that uh, God was bringing through Moses. They believed that Moses was the final prophet. and that they, But they believed that this final Tahib would be a prophet like Moses, and again, it would bring the final resurrection. That's why the Samaritan woman had no problem accepting Jesus as the Messiah. She thought that he would be this, that he was this Tahib. And when she ministered to this community and told them, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Tahib we've been looking for? The entire community came out and believed. Now, another section uh, of difference, another difference uh, that they had with traditional Judaism is that instead of Jerusalem, they believed that Mount Gerizim was the sanctuary of God. They believed that uh, David got it wrong by moving it to Jerusalem because, again, they believed that anything after the Torah, anything after the Moses, was a uh, derivation, or uh, or not a derivation? Was was a, uh, a corruption? Is the word I'm looking for? A corruption of the law of God. And so, interestingly, they only celebrate three festivals instead of what was it? I think seven festivals Jews celebrate. They only celebrate three. One Passover, they celebrate that. They also celebrate Shavuot or the festival of weeks. And they also celebrate Sukkot, the Festival of Booths. Those are the only three they celebrate. So those are the five. And all three of those are probably the most important. I was kind of surprised, though, that Yom Kippur wasn't celebrated. But maybe that was maybe that's something they consider to be a later tradition. I, I don't know. I would be interested. I'm not sure where it says about Yom Kippur. But I was I was kind of startled that that's not one of the festivals that they kept. Yeah. But you're right; those yeah. are three of the major ones. Yeah. I mean, I just, Yom Kippur is one of the coolest festivals and holidays and times of of uh, of the rituals of the of the of the festivals that are celebrated. It's just, yeah. There's some really cool stuff all through there, so. How and when, I guess, and where did these groups um, originate? Okay, so the Pharisees, and again, as we mentioned, I think there can be a connection made back to earlier times. But officially yeah, speaking, official like 400 AD or something. Yeah, uh, officially speaking, though, the the Pharisees began during the Maccabean Revolt around 165 to 160 when Judas Maccabeus oh, wow. Interesting. and all these other groups, they, they arose up against uh, the Macedonians and they freed Israel for a period of time. Uh, this is where you have the fast festival of, uh, of Hanukkah uh, coming about where they had oil, only a little bit of oil, but it kept the temple uh, lit for nine days. 
which was really miraculous that it happened that way. Um, they are believed to be the descendants of the Hasidim sect, uh, and the Hasidim emphasized the oral law and uncompromised adherence to the law. Um, and again, I think there could be a connection to the prophets of the Old Testament because it's through this group that those books were preserved, them and uh, also the Essenes. The word uh, Pharisees could possibly come from the word Hasid, which means pious ones. So, um, so the Pharisees were known for their piety and their righteousness. Uh, Interesting. The Sadducees st- stemmed from the descendants of Zadok, uh, and he, in fact, the word Sadducee uh, could possibly come from the word Sedoc, Sedoc, T S E D O Q, Sedoc, which means a descendant of Zadok. Uh, this consisted of the upper class aristocrats. Uh, they began as a distinct sect around 200 B.C. Uh, through 70 A.D. Uh, Zodok was, or Zadok was the first high priest to serve in Solomon's temple in 587 B.C. Uh, they always fought against what they perceived to be Hellenization, and again, their main focus was defending the operation of the temple complex. So those are the Sadducees. Um, the Essenes were a monastic and eschatological sect that began in the 2nd century, which, which would be anywhere from around 200 B.C. to 100 B.C. They emphasized uh, ritual purity. Uh, they, they may, their name may come from a Greek term called eseos, or which means holiness or doers of Torah. Uh, some may have been uh, ousted priests during the Roman occupation. And like the Sadducees, uh, they opposed Hellenization, uh, but like the Pharisees, they also uh, disliked the elitism of the Sadducees. <laughs> so uh, they're a unique, they're a unique uh, group, and again, yeah. they're highly eschatological. They were looking for the end to come. Um, the Zealots were a, were primarily a political group that began with the Roman census in Galilee in 6 AD. They did not like the censuses that were being taken. And if you follow the story of Jesus' birth, we know that the censuses began far earlier than that. But at 6 AD, they had had enough. They were very aggressive, and they were uh, they spurned people to violence. And again, they were uh, often... Um, the, the rabbis of, of uh, the, the Pharisaical rabbis often try to reel the zealots in. They, they try to get them to calm down because they realize they were bringing something bad by yeah. continuously uh, poking the bear. They were they kept poking the Roman Empire, and, um, and and the Pharisees try to calm them down and say, "Hey, there's another way of going about doing this." And it's interesting. Uh, as as we look at this, um, and we'll get more into this at the final point, but Jesus has something to say to all of these groups uh, as we go through the Gospels, and uh, and so Jesus was not for violence of the of the zealots or any type of violence. Jesus says that the that the kingdom of God was going to come through a different way, and so um, he's also like the Pharisees trying to reel these this group back in. Uh, and then finally, the Samaritans uh, were called the uh, Shamre HaTorah, or the Guardians of the Torah. Uh, their origins is actually shrouded in mystery. 
but most likely they descended from uh, the survivors of the Assyrian invasion, and most likely they were part of the the uh, ten the, the missing ten tribes of Israel. Most likely they bred interbred with the Assyrians whenever they they were invaded, and they were the offspring of uh, the Assyrians and the uh, tribes of Israel that were invaded in northern Israel. That's also why. Uh, the vast majority of the people in Israel disliked the Samaritans because they they saw them. I hate to put it this way, but that's the way they they viewed half-breed. it, kind of as a half breed. Uh, yep. And so that's it's interesting though that Jesus, whenever he uh, gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, that he chose a Samaritan uh, to be the hero of the story, that's the protagonist of the story. Hmm. Yeah, some. Some crazy stuff in there because my mind just my mind went right to. Uh, isn't that kind of funny how political agenda and how you view the end times played part in what you believed and how you followed um, followed what was happening at that time period? Kind of the same thing today. It's exactly that's that's very an astute observation, <laughs> a very astute observation, Curtis. Because I, I agree with you. I think we see the exact same thing happening today. Yeah. Uh, rather than allowing our theology to shape our politics and our eschatology, we are allowing our politics to shape our eschatology, or or even sometimes our theology, which is completely backwards from the way it should be. But that that's where you've got to give credit to the Pharisees. Uh, and the Essenes. Now, the Essenes, they, they were a little more political in the sense that they were going to, you know, completely cut themselves off from the culture of the time. Um, they were going to go out in the wilderness and just completely cut themselves off. But uh, I was just, just going to say, they were the bunker boys, huh? They were the bunker boys. They were, it, it's funny, we were talking before the podcast, Curtis, about being uh, 10 hat guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They would probably have been considered the ten hat guys of the yeah. uh, of first century because they really believed that the Lord was coming, and uh, it's interesting because some people have argued that John the Baptist may have been in the scene. And, interesting, and some people even think that it's possible that John uh, the apostle and perhaps. If John the Baptist was in a scene, it's possible that John and Peter uh, could have been could have been a scenes. But now Jesus' theology is interesting; doesn't really completely match any of these groups. It, he is completely unique. Now he he closely aligns himself with the Pharisees and and in the Essenes. There will be the two groups I would say would be closest to Jesus' theology. But he's still unique. Uh, he takes a different spin on things than either of these, than any of these groups do. Hmm. Interesting. It, it's just, yeah. It's just, it amazes me how um, the words of Solomon just continue to come back every single time. There's nothing new under the sun. Absolutely. I mean, even as we mentioned, we kind of hinted at this earlier, uh, but even the whole issue of divine sovereignty and human freedom, that's not a new conversation. They were having these debates back then. Yeah. And Jesus still didn't settle it at that time. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and I think there may be a reason for that. What's the importance? Yeah. Because I think if God gave us, well, one, I don't think that we in this in this body. Listen, I, I'm I'm already noticing that it's harder for me to remember things now than it was in my earlier years. In this body of flesh, there's no way that we could even comprehend everything if God told us everything that there was. But I think He intentionally leaves some things a mystery, so that we'll continue to talk about these things and we'll we'll uh, we'll kind of relish more in His holiness and who He is. Uh, if we had all the answers, would we? I mean, I, well, number one, I don't think we're ever, even in heaven, going to know everything about God. But even if we did, if we did, if we were to know all the answers about God, would we? Would we keep talking about Him as we do? Yeah, true. So, what happened to these groups? Have any of uh, have any of them influenced uh, modern Judaism and and uh, and such? You know, Curtis, you and I were having a conversation about this as we were talking about this topic, and I've done some digging, and it's interesting that only one of these groups, actually, let me back that up, two of these groups survive. One is the main mainstay of, of classic rabbinic Judaism today as we know it and all the divisions of judaism and sects of judaism come from this one branch and that one branch is the pharisees the pharisees continue to this day and uh there are several different branches there are more secular jews and there are more uh, you, you have you have varieties from secular jews to to uh, spiritual jews highly religious jews and then the ultra orthodox jews Right. Um, you know, and, and in Israel, I found I found an article not long ago that was um, that spoke of the five different branches of Jews that you see in in Israel. Some were more secular, some were extremely strict in their orthodoxy, and then others were kind of more spiritual, religious, and things of that nature. But all of that, all of rabbinic Judaism, stems from the Pharisees because they're the ones that not only preserved the Old Testament for us. They also developed what we know as the Talmud, which is the written documentation of the oral traditions of their time. Some of these oral traditions date back to the time of the first century and maybe even earlier, and some were later uh, traditions that were preserved in writing. The difficulty is, is trying to figure out which one is which. By and large, the Jerusalem Talmud is going to be a lot older and contain some of the older traditions than the Babylonian Talmud will, uh, if you're looking through that. The Sadducees, they completely dissolved with the temple. Uh, there was, they, were only, they were a minority of the populace. Anyhow, only the highly elite of the society were Sadducees, and even then they kind of caved in to some of the Pharisees' belief systems in some areas because the vast majority of the people adopted the Pharisees' uh, philosophy. But the Sadducees dissolved after the temple was destroyed. After that, they really had no reason to continue their sect after that time. The Essenes, what happened to the Essenes? Well, that's a bit of a historical mystery. Um, Some believe, if you look in the documents of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they talk about this war of the end time and a battle between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. 
yes, that was eschatological, but some people believe, some scholars believe, that they may have joined the Jewish fight against Israel and may have been killed in the Jewish invasions in the, in the 70s, early 70s. So that, that sect may have died out because they uh, involved themselves in the war and, and, and perished at that time. The Zealots, like the Essenes, most likely dissolved at the end of the Roman invasion in 73 AD. Um, unfortunately uh, for, for early Jews, uh, that uh, war was a complete and utter disaster. Uh, the Roman Empire just completely demolished them and uh, destroyed the temple complex in 70 AD, and it hasn't been rebuilt since. Uh, we know if you follow a futurist perspective, uh, there's a good chance if you follow Ezekiel and you believe in a future uh, millennium, there's a good chance that the temple is going to be rebuilt, Ezekiel's temple. Uh, and um, so, but to this day, uh, since the 70 AD invasion, the temple has yet to be rebuilt. And then the, the, the Samaritans, the Samaritans actually exist to this day, but they're, they're, they exist in small pockets, small communities. In northern Israel, um, really, there's still some Samaritans around to this day, uh, but there again, you know, they aren't. Um, they would they would wholeheartedly reject being associated with mainstream Judaism because they were not part of the rabbinic movement that you see with the Pharisees. So every everything we see in modern Judaism today stemmed out of the rabbinic Pharisee, Pharisee <laughs> word it again, everything we see in modern Judaism today with all its derivations and all of its branches stems out of the Pharisaical rabbinic Judaism that you see in the first century. Uh, there are different beliefs within the different groups. Uh, right. There are sects that, de- that devolved from this one group, uh, but still, their heritage is with the the Pharisaical group because really, as far as mainstream Judaism, that's the only sect that survived. Hmm. That's interesting because yeah, I, I was going to ask you a question. What did you find any information that the that the Samaritans, the the Samaritan. Jews did they wind up staying um, a pure a quote unquote pure race even though you know from from that time they were you know considered you know they were considered at that time uh, as half breeds did they wind up staying a pure section or did they actually just go on to I guess intermingling I guess. That's a good question, and I'm afraid I don't have the answer to that. I I think from what I've read in the past that they are pretty much a closed group, but uh, that's not to say that's not to say that there hasn't been some intermingling that's happened uh, throughout the two thousand years of history. I'm sure there has been, uh, Mm -hmm. but uh, to, to state with any degree of uh, certainty, I I really, I really just don't know. But my guess would be that they have, but um, to what degree? Yeah, to what level and degree? I I really can't say. Yeah, I would have thought like, um, uh, you know, like the Sadducees. Could you compare them to kind of like 
which you could say nowadays would be like a um an atheist atheistic jew and uh and um you know along those lines where they were just where it was the temple was the only thing they would be a cross between I, i think they would be theistic in the sense that they believed in god but I think that they would probably be more closely aligned with uh, Baruch Spinoza, who was a Jewish scientist who who really um, advocated for, um, I think he was lived in the time of the Renaissance, maybe there a little after, but uh, he, he came up with the concept of a deist form of God. It's kind of a yes. God who's really hands-off. What's really interesting and unique, and and... What's interesting and unique is the fact that, that the Sadducees didn't seem to believe in an afterlife. But let me say this as a caveat because I read one resource that brought up a good point. We don't know that with certainty that they didn't believe in any form of an afterlife because, and we know that they didn't believe in a, in a resurrection because all of the sources we have today were anti. Sadduceical, Sadduceical resources. So we really don't have any written material from a Sadducee existing at this day and time. So could they have held some belief in some type of a Sheol or something of that sort? It's possible. But to what level and degree, we really just don't know because quite honestly, we don't have anything from the Sadducees existing today. That's interesting. When the temple was destroyed, so were the Sadducees. That, that is interesting. That's some interesting stuff there. So does our knowledge of these groups groups impact uh, our understanding of the New Testament then? Yes, absolutely. I think it does in three ways, and quite honestly, I think there may be many other ways we could mention as well. Number one, Paul's take on Romans 9 and predestination, the whole issue of predestination. Uh, if we understand the debates going on at the time and that Paul himself closely aligned with the group of the Pharisees, then it really helps us to understand um, his take a little bit better when he's talking about some of these things because he did believe in divine sovereignty, but he also believed in human freedom. And so the door was left open for both of those things, as we clearly see throughout the book of Romans. I mean, because Romans chapter 9, you see sovereignty. But Romans chapter 10 if you believe in the Lord that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's a lot of freedom in chapter human freedom in chapter ten. So I think that helps us understand. Also, I think it enlightens us to Jesus's own theology, because Jesus, even though he was most closely aligned with the Pharisees. He didn't agree with the Pharisees on everything. He he really um, he really brought the Pharisees back to the the law of God, where they they had placed such a focus on the oral traditions, or not oral traditions, rather rather the oral law. They had focused more on their interpretations rather than what God, what thus saith the Lord. So Jesus was bringing them back to the original message of God. For the Sadducees, they had bad theology because they weren't even reading the Torah right. 
And Jesus called him out on that. You know, have you not? You, you do err in your understanding of the Scripture because God says that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not was, but I am. So Jesus corrected the theology of the Sadducees. Jesus clearly stood against the Zealots. Uh, he clearly stood against the Zealots because he was not for violence. Anyone who takes up the sword will die by the sword. Well, that makes sense if we understand that the Zealots were trying to take up the sword to overtake the Roman Empire. Um, Jesus even saw, foresaw this Roman invasion coming. That's why he tells people to run to the mountains, run to the hills when you see these things happening. And the people who listened were the ones that survived that invasion, quite honestly. The Essenes, um, I think the information we see uh, with... uh, Jesus being involved in, in, in the community, Jesus being very evangelistic with people of all different groups, the Essenes would have nothing to do with that. They would be anti-evangelistic. Uh, they were just about sitting off in a desert watching for the end of the world to come. Jesus says, no, you need to get involved. The, the kingdom of God is here, and you need to proclaim it. Don't hide your light under a bowl Shine it for all to see. Well, that may have been something against the Essenes that Jesus was bringing out. Uh, The Samaritans, well, he confronted the Samaritan woman at the well, and he even corrected some of her theology and and said, listen, it was through the Jews that God's word came. Uh, It's through, you know, in Jerusalem is the right place. So he's correcting some of their theology. So it really helps us understand the message of Jesus. And then finally, It also helps us understand that when we talk about the immortality of the soul, we talk about the afterlife and all these different things, we can see that unlike some people who charge these things as being a Hellenistic corruption, we can see that this is completely and utterly Jewish, thoroughly Jewish in the concepts we find. Yes, the the Greeks held a similar view in, in some of these things, but that doesn't, doesn't mean necessarily that the Jews were infiltrated by the Greeks. Uh, they held, even in the Old Testament, a belief in, in the afterlife. So I think it's fallacious for people to say that if you believe in the immortality of the soul and you believe in these type of things, the, the resurrection and, and so on and so forth, that it's a, a, a Greco-Roman infiltration. I just don't think the evidence is there. So anything, excuse me, anyhow, I think that an understanding about uh, these different Jewish sects helps us better interpret Scripture and better, it, it kind of opens up another avenue uh, or, or even shines a brighter bulb on what may be some murky areas, and it just really helps us better interpret Scripture when we understand some of this background information. Uh, Curtis, I believe you're on mute. I got you. (laughs) So it's interesting, though, because Paul Paul makes it very clear um, where he sat, but yet you can still pick up I guess um, little hints of certain things along the way of of different groups and and maybe even some of the people that are you know in the gospels and and they tell the stories of of what they actually believed um, just by knowing uh, where these people sat. That's that's interesting. Very interesting. It is interesting too, also to uh, 
when when Paul was before, I think with the Sanhedrin, uh, yeah. the, the 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 heat was being cranked up against him. So he knew how to word certain things to get the yeah, Pharisees yeah, to side with he, him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and that I was just gonna I was gonna say that it's it's interesting how now we understand a little bit of that. We can look back, understand a little bit of history, look back at what we've read, and be like, wow, I can see where he could have created that um, that heat or that, you know, he could have riled up the zealots and was able to, you know, create a, you know, a basically a, um, a coup, you know, to, to help out. You know, that's just, to me, it's just, it, it just adds depth. Um, it adds some liveliness to the scriptures, for sure. And, and also, I think to, to to your point there as well, I think it shows that what we're dealing with in, in scripture and the gospels and through the letters of Paul throughout the New Testament, we're dealing with real live people. These are not one dimensional yeah. individuals. The, these yeah. are these are people with depth, and we see these are movements with depth. And once we as you said, Curtis, once we get a handle on this, uh, on, on these issues, and really kind of see the groups and, and what was taking place in Israel at the time, it, it really just opens up a whole other layer uh, of depth for us when, when reading Scripture. Totally, yeah. I think it's just awesome. I love it. I love this <laughs> stuff. So, so well, there you go, folks. Um, hope that maybe helped uh, deepen your deepen your. Uh, understanding a little bit of some of this take take some time and and listen to this and uh maybe next time go through uh book of acts and and look at paul's travels and and maybe go through corinthians and uh thessalonians and and understand exactly what he's talking about there might just kind of blow your mind when you start uh seeing this stuff so anyway we here at bellator christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps Stretch your mind and it's, and it's become a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellico Christie Podcast. And Brian and I say, hold your on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question 
is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christi Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristi.com and the Bellator Christi Podcast.